suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. Australia Day 2021. They just keep rolling through. I'm feeling really old on this podcast. It seems like we've had a lot of Australia Days to talk about. I've kind of like we've talked about nearly everything we could possibly say and we're going to rehash the same old things. But let's be a bit more positive than that. It's the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. We're going to talk about Australia Day. We're going to talk about um, Australia Day Awards, big tech and newspapers, Sky News, a bit of free speech. Wouldn't be a podcast without a bit of a free speech discussion. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a few other things. Cam Riley's Facebook page, he's having trouble. A few different topics to talk to you about, dear listener. I am Trevor, a.k.a. The Iron Fist. With me, as always, Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Paul. G'day, Joe. G'day, listeners. And thanks very much, Mrs. Fist. I forgot my reading glasses, so I've borrowed yours. Yes, they're looking very flash, and you've got little diamantes on the edge there, Scott. Yeah, so if you want to make any comments on them, please do so. so. (laughs) Paul, the 12th man. Greetings, earthlings and gentlemen. Mm -hmm. And uh, Joe, the tech guy. Evening, everyone. Right. Okay. Before we get started on Australia Day, a bit of feedback. Got a message from Craig B., um, he said, great start to the year, mate. Thanks again for another interesting episode. This is talking about last week. I'm continually amazed at how you can disagree with each other so passionately and remain friends. It's certainly an indication of your maturity, mutual respect, and the way you support your points of view. Anyway, I hope you and the fellas stay safe and good luck for the new year. Thank you, Craig Bean. Thank you very much, Craig. I think mm. it's easy to understand that Trevor and I agree Paul is wrong. Right. <laughs> but, but we agree poli- We agree politely and disagree politely. Absolutely. We're all still friends, I think. Yeah. We are. Yeah. My tip, Craig, is it's that we actually talk face-to-face and we're not writing in a Facebook comment thread or we're not exchanging emails because I reckon it would all go to shit pretty quickly if we were just communicating via written comments rather than spoken word so that's the key to maintaining a friendship if you're going to argue with somebody is do it face to face absolutely it is Mm. you know and i think that's very true like the two of Mm. you each others are at each other hammer and tongs Mm. each week Mm. hammer and tongs Mm. (laughs) (laughs) it looks like it could go to fisticuffs but it never does because the two of you sit there paul lays out his arguments trevor lays out his arguments and you know Mm-hmm. Never the twain shall meet, but the two of you do get along. Mm. I have to say though, we had a little email exchange during the week, and I just got—I felt really antsy over it. Like, and I thought, you know, this is unhealthy. I'm not going to engage in writing with with you or anybody <laughs> because it, it's just too much. I think it's because it's hard work. It's really hard work to engage in writing. It takes so much longer, and. You miss out on all the cues and misunderstandings occur really easily. It's just so much harder. So mm. I think uh, converse uh, face-to-face and is al- best. And also, I mean, uh, what the listeners to the podcast don't see and hear is we actually talk to each other off the podcast. Mm. And 
just as you say, you know, we you can see the nuance, you can see the facial expression, the body language, and also you can add little asides and extra mm. information that filled in the gaps. And we understand each other pretty well, I think. Yes, and you so can. So we we avoid, um, you know. Mm. I mean, as you say, Trevor, and, and I get this a lot when I'm trying to engage in a discussion online is. It is really, really hard to convey exactly what you mean uh, with all the physical cues that we get talking face-to-face mm. and, and give the uh, impression that you're trying to give. You know, some people mm. interpret things as hostile when they're not intended as hostile mm. Mm. and people very, very quickly uh, just you know, turn to hostility and insults and yep. uh, insinuation about mm. the other person, mm. which may not have any justification at all. Mm. Yeah. So there's my tip, Craig. Do it uh, so you're probably right verbally, about. if possible. Yeah. So um, last week also we, um, we were talking about who sponsored on the rum and Captain Doomsday, my humblest apologies. Couldn't remember it was you at the time, but <laughs> no, it was. And our current beer that we're drinking is from Paul Waper and from John Simmons as well. Thank you to those Thanks, sponsors. Chaps. Thanks very much, gentlemen. And Thank just finally, before we move on to topics, dear listener, if you're new to the podcast, we normally jump into the topics a lot quicker than this, but just one final sort of uh, housekeeping thing. We've sort of been talking about whether to set up a sort of a forum or a Discord or a sort of a chat type area which has me worried because if people are writing, then they're going to end up with the same problems we've just spoken about in these sort of forums where people go at each other because they misunderstand. So um, there's a thing called Discord, which does allow verbal conversations in the does, yep. chat rooms. So anyway, let us know out there if you're interested in the setting up of a forum, particularly one that might have a sort of a a chat room where you can talk type experience and we could organise it, but it would really be whether there's enough interest in that. So let us have some feedback on that. Hello in the chat room, Bronwyn, Mel and Aaron so far. Good on you. Right, um, guys, I didn't mention this in the notes, but just a Noosa Temple of Satan update and Robin got into the Australian again yesterday. Oh, did he? Into Struth section. So the Struth editor is actually, I think, pretty sympathetic to... Noosa Temple of Satan stuff. So um, I'll just read part of the article here. Devil worshippers are celebrating a small but important win for religious freedom. The Noosa Temple of Satan has somehow managed to get the pentagram added to the religious symbols displayed at the Sunshine Coast University Hospital's multi-faith centre. Alongside the Christian cross, Islam star and crescent, ancient Chinese yin and yang, Hindu om and Buddhist wheel of dharma. Leader Samael Demogorgon, a.k.a. former sex party candidate and LGBTI activist Robin Bristow, is additionally seeking to be recognised as a chaplain. And I've quoted Robin here. I look forward to providing comfort to Satanists when they're in hospital, Bristow said. Also, I can imagine there may be Christians who are facing death and may wish to turn to Satanism in their last moments. We need to give them every opportunity to turn to the Dark Lord. That's very important work. (laughs) And dear listener... The comments section in the Australian under that article has gone ballistic. <laughs> Just gone nuts. Well done, Robin. Great line. Uh, anti-Robin, I should imagine. Yeah. A mixture, mostly, mostly hmm. Christian outrage. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so Christians who are facing death may wish to turn to Satanism. <laughs> That's important work. But the journalist has written devil worshippers. Yes. You know, he's addressed it to yeah. – and as we know – 
Robin isn't really. A no, but some are. Some of the followers. Some of the followers are, and that's the whole point. Like yeah. you know, the, 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 you you could have genuine Satanists there who mm. believe Satan is a real person, They're and some of them worshipped. Yeah, indeed. Yes. Well, Christians actually believe in Satan. Yep. You know. Yep. So here we go. So. In the chat room, Mel said I had some little robust chats with a twelfth fan whose name escapes me last week. It was pretty civil. I think that probably was with Karen. Okay, let's get on to some of the topics. Well, Australia Day. Um, we've done it previously to death to some extent. Um, and the arguments don't change. Yes. No, and, and this is the point of an article, Paul, that you found in uh, the ABC mm-hmm. where this uh, journalist said, we've all heard the arguments. It's either honouring the legacy of British convicts who struggled in a harsh new land and celebrating the achievements of a young multi- multicultural country. Uh, then, of course, there are those who say a celebration of the anniversary of British occupation is the equivalent to dancing on their ancestors' graves. So this is the ideological wrestling over which um, which part of this country's history is more important. Is it the... 65,000 years before 1788 or the 240 that followed. Uh, A tussle to decide if the loss of the first inhabitants should be commemorated or the success of new Australians celebrated. This is the debate Australians have every year as we approach January 26. That's a fair summary. That is the debate that we have. I don't think it is, frankly. I think uh, we are not, we're not celebrating a bunch of convicts getting off ships 240 years ago. We're celebrating Australia now, um, aren't we? Celebrating what we have achieved. And the achievements of a young multicultural country. Yes. To and me, that's just, what just, I'm celebrating on Australia. It's both. That's her argument is it's, it's ignored. Well, because it relates to that date. It does relate to yeah. the date, but yeah. I personally don't Mm. see it as a celebration of the actual arrival of the ships as much as Mm. what happened in Uh, the... Okay, but here she's saying, is what are we going to say is more important? The 65,000 years before Whitefellas arrived or the 240 after? Mm. And and that's the argument. And and I think I made the point in our little little, uh, correspondence this week that... um, you know, they, they present this number over and over and over, 65,000 years, and some people want to extend it to, you know, over 100,000 years. You know, when years. we first started this podcast, it reckon it was around 40. It's been creeping up since then. I've heard people <laughs> quote mm. over 100. Mm. Yeah, but anyway, mm. 65,000 years. But mm. um, is it really such, such an impressive number and is it really the oldest culture as they keep banging on about? Because my reading of uh, human history has us coming out of Africa. Now, there are linguists who study the you know, various ancient languages, including some in Africa. And there are people who, like the Kalahari, Kung San, which we colloquially called the Bushmen. Mm-hmm. And they have a, a very interesting language, which includes clicking sounds. And I'm sure you've all mm. come across this. I've heard that. Now, yeah. according to linguists, they postulate that these clicking languages, and there are there are a few others among some small groups of uh, remnants of obviously very ancient lineages of people in Africa, and they postulate that these are perhaps uh, examples of some of humanity's earliest languages. So it could be 
that those Kalahari Bushmen but, but nobody's suggesting have that... a continuing culture that is actually older than the Aborigines. That's, that's my feeling. Anyway, I'm, I, I, I have no evidence. I'm just hypothesising. Right. But, or I mean, even if it didn't, it evolved from earlier groups anyway. Well, so, but clearly humanity started in Africa. Yes. So clearly, however you want to describe it, the longest lineage of Homo sapiens would be out of would be within Africa. Wouldn't you think? Yeah, but it doesn't really matter, does it? Which is, but why do they keep banging on about 65,000 years of well, well, continuous a, culture and it's the oldest? They keep telling us it's mm, the oldest living culture on Earth. Mm, mm. Uh, What's the significance of that? Because it was 65,000 years mm, of cultural stasis. Mm, you know, it's not mm. as if they really changed I, I, much or did much in 65,000 years. They survived. Right. I guess the point is, though, with this argument, is it's a long time, however you want to calculate it. And do you just pick this cut-off point of, of post-European settlement as the important bit? or Well, it's which, really which... the beginning of Australia, as we know it. Mm. Prior to the arrival mm. of the British settle- settlers, mm. there was no Australia. There was mm. a big ma- landmass with a whole bunch of... What was here? It was just... Hundreds of small <laughs> bands of Indigenous people. Yeah. It was, it was here. But, but it, was it wasn't Australia. No. No, but they have found evidence that they were trading with each other and all that sort of thing, yeah. which I tend to agree with you, Paul. It's one of those things, it's just, you know, it's one of those bloody awful debates that we're going to go through every year. Now, Bronwyn Ben said something very interesting there. She said, interestingly, Australia seems to be the only country which commemorates the arrival of colonists as its natu- national day. I agree with you, Bronwyn. I heard on Batuta Advocate, I believe, yesterday, they said that Scott Morrison was celebrating the arrival of a imperial force and that sort of stuff that conquered the nation. I understand where that. I understand where that logic's coming from. I do understand that, you know. But it's one of those things. It's um, yeah. Joe in the chat. Uh, Joe, you might put up on the screen that um, bit that I've got. Yeah. Okay. So there's a map of um, of the world, and this comes from Wikipedia, showing uh, what reasons countries use for, for for declaring their national day. And um, there's a lot there that are basically independence-related, where people are celebrating the date that they kicked out the colonisers, as opposed to ours, which is the date that the colonisers arrived. Exactly. So, well, they haven't the, been kicked out. <laughs> no, that's right. And, and if they, ever they are, then that'll be the date. They will be. That, that's right. But that, that is the most common date is where the colonisers have been kicked out. And the other common date would be where there's been a sort of a revolution-related um, event um, has been where the, where the date uh, of the National Day. And... What was Canada's revolution? Uh, that would have been, I don't know yeah. what that I, was. I would or, have said America was so, revolution-related, so. as was most of South America. Well, ind- independence, I don't know. It's Look, I'll, I'll well, bring up this. The Declaration of Independence was dated the 4th of July, wasn't it? Uh, let me bring up this Wikipedia article. Uh, yeah, it was signed on the 3rd, but it was enacted on the 4th. Okay, gotcha. Well, that was their independence. Something like that. Yeah. So I can understand that rather than calling it a revolution. Um, I'll bring up the Wikipedia article. But I mean, obviously, 1st of January 1901 would be the sensible. Yes. Apart from it happens to yes. be in New Year's Day. Yes. 
Exactly. Yeah, right. me and the better half were discussing this and that sort of stuff, and he doesn't have an objection to what he has an objection to is losing a public holiday, mm. but he didn't have an objection to shifting the national day to the first of January as long mm. as he got Easter Tuesday as compensation. Yeah. <laughs> See, I've said I've said before that the situation would be resolved if we declare ourselves a republic. Yes, and, and, and I then, would like us to do that yeah. sometime in October because there's a a dearth of public holidays at that time of year. So. If we de- declared ourselves a republic, cut final ties with England, that could be a suitable day. There has been another suggestion mm. by somebody, and that is May the 9th. Now, I know some people jokingly suggest May the 8th. Mate. Oh, May, May the 9th. <laughs> May the 8th. Mate. May, the 8th. May the 9th is Liberation Day. May the 9th was the day when the first Australian parliament uh, was established in the exhibition buildings in Melbourne. In uh, nine was it? Yeah, it was May the ninth, nineteen hundred and one. So we were we were declared an independent country on first of January, nineteen hundred and one. But on May the ninth, the Parliament actually was opened at the exhibition buildings in Melbourne. Mm. So that was the first Australian Parliament, May the ninth, nineteen hundred and one. So somebody has suggested that would be also perhaps an appropriate day to mm. celebrate Australia Day. Yep. Quick quiz. Which countries do not have a national day? Without the, looking at the screen. <laughs> United Kingdom and Denmark, I believe. Yes. Well, well read, Scott. So, um, so they're the only ones that don't. Uh, some countries have two national days. There's an option as well. I'm all for that. <laughs> Anytime you get an extra holiday. I, I'm impressed Spain is still getting away with um, yeah. discovery of America. Yes. I mean, didn't the... Native Americans discover it before the white fellas? Yeah, well, when Columbus uh, discovered uh, America, that is the Spanish National Day. That's amazing, is it? isn't it? Yes. Isn't that interesting? We've discussed this before, Paul, two years ago. We may Paul have. pulled it up from the notes, yeah. So, And India has its National Day the same day as us too. Mm, yeah, let me just see what Canada yeah, is. they've got it for a very different reason to us. So yeah, Canada right. is 1st of July, creation of a federal Canada from three British colonies in 1867. Okay, gotcha. There you go. Anyway, so Canada became a country in 1867, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, I guess that's what they're saying. Oh, mm. shit. Um, uh, China has two days, 1st uh, of January, founding day of the Republic of China, establishment of the provisional government in 1912, and another date on the 10th of October, Double 10-day commemorating the 1911 Wuchang Uprising that led to the abolishment of the monarchy and the founding of the Republic of China in 1911. There you go. You can have more than one. So most of them are to do with sort of gaining independence from the coloniser or some sort of forming of a republic as such, but the actual celebrating of the date that the colonisers arrive, I think we're probably on our own on that one. So. Sometimes it's the birthday of a king or queen or something like that. Okay, so um, there's no resolution. Nobody will be happy. We're just divided on that one, and we'll just keep arguing about it for at least another generation. Can't we get a patron saint and just celebrate their death? Yes. <laughs> that could be it. Any volunteers? Mm. Well, I could always get martyred for um, it if you want to. Yeah. Mary, Mary McKillop? Oh, please. Mm. Uh, I don't think so. So, um, okay. What else have we got to say about that? Um, oh, just on polls. So, 
from this article, which says that um, the latest poll from Think Tank, the Institute of Public Affairs, I can't believe I'm quoting the Institute of Public Affairs, but anyway, they did a poll. 69% of Australians support the January 26th holiday and there was an ANU social research centre poll in 2019 also found 70% of people support January 26th. That's quite high, I think. Basically, there's a clear generational divide. The older you are, the more likely you are to be in favour of it, it seems. so. If, if you listen to Double J yeah. or Triple J... Yes. So baby boomers, 80% in favour. But if you look at Triple J listeners to the hottest 100, 60% said they wanted the hottest 100 on a different day rather than Australia Day because of respect for Indigenous Australians. So, so yeah, now who was that politician that lost his shit over that? Anyway, there was one. One right. of them was just losing it and that sort of stuff, screaming and carrying on because they'd moved the date of the hottest one hundred. Right. And I said, Jesus Christ, you haven't got anything better to worry about, do you? Yeah. So, well, what about the cricketers? Hmm. So they've st- been doing their own virtue signalling over it as well, haven't they? Hmm. Yeah, they just decided to call it January twenty sixth. In fact, I I pulled up an, an article. Do you want to? Hmm. Can I read a bit? Yeah, of it? go on. This is about the uh, cricket Australia's decision to not observe Australia Day? Okay. So apparently the same cricketers who intend to snub Australia Day at home want priority uh, uh, receiving the COVID vaccine so that they can represent Australia overseas. Isn't that cute? Cricket Australia announced last week that they would sandpaper away any mention of Australia Day from their promotion of Big Bash games on January 26th. The decision came after consultation with someone who said... Something about this being a powerful way of being seen to be doing something about racism or something. But the writer goes on to say, it will not help struggling batsman Joe Burns get even one more run, nor will it save even one Indigenous woman from domestic violence. It will, however, distract attention from the team's poor performance this summer. Um, Goes on to say... uh, well, yes, we lost the Gabba for the first time in 20 years to an Indian team missing seven of their best players. But look over there, a social justice pantomime. <laughs> social justice pantomime. Well, it is. <laughs> um, and, of course, uh, Scott Morrison got a bit of flack for saying a bit more focus on cricket would be good. Um, it surely is only a matter of time until Cricket Australia changed their name to just CA, you know, like Kentucky Fried Chicken changed it to just KFC. Oh, I see. Right. To avoid to, any to take obvious, the Australia out yeah, of cricket yeah, Australia. To take the Australia out oh, exactly. Right. To avoid any obvious connection either to cricket or to Australia. See, see this is a very hyperbolic article you're reading here. But it's, it's entertaining. Very... So let me go on. Both yeah. of, both of which only seem to get in the way of a, of really important things like inclusivity, diversity, equality, equity, sustainability, and trans whatevery. Inner city, progressives, <laughs> inner city progressives will, of course, approve of the Australia Day snub, snub. However, this too is pointless since inner city progressives tend not, not to like cricket anyway. Is, 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 is this written by Rowan Dean? No. By any chance? Okay. It's very but listen to this. hyperbolic. In this regard, Cricket Australia has become almost indistinguishable from Rugby Australia, a sporting organisation that is world-class when it comes to alienating fans and losing games while impressing people who don't care with gestures that don't matter. 
all of which makes Cricket Australia's request for players to receive the COVID vaccine before everybody else in the country a bit rich. Cricket Australia's Chief Medical Officer, Dr John Orchard, argued at the weekend that the team should jump the priority queue because its tour of South Africa in February was vital to Australia's national and international interest. Bullshit. (laughs) So one minute they are snubbing Australia Day because national shame, and the next minute they are elbowing their way to the front of the vaccination queue because national pride. Do you think... think, um Footballers in our Australian teams, like the Australian Rugby Union team or whatever, should get priority for a vaccination? No, I don't. Paul? What if there's an argument economically that it will help the economy? Uh, it won't help the economy. It's a... I don't really care. Right. You don't have an opinion then. Okay, that's Not right. on their vaccinations. Right. I don't have an opinion. I have an opinion on their virtue signalling. Right. I find that really ridiculous that that guy's arguing that they should go to the front of the queue. Mm. He's the the Cricket Australia doctor. I know, and that is ridiculous. They've Mm. got to accept that they are fit, young, healthy people and that sort of stuff. Exactly. And if they're going to come down with it, it's highly likely that they will get over it unless unless they end up with a long-form disease, which could end up fucking them up for years to come. Mm. Mm. But it's one of those things. It's an occupational risk. If they're going to travel to South Africa in February in the middle of a pandemic, you know, that's an occupational risk they've decided to take. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they should be jumping the queue and that sort of stuff to get vaccinated first. Mm. Here into the rent. Mm. Anyway, I think it's a bit hyperbolic, the article. It's to, very to, hyperbolic. To, to say. But it, it makes a point. Right. And it's saying they're indistinguishable from Rugby Australia, presumably because of the Falau Bruhaha, is that what it's sort of saying? I, I assume that's the reference. I, I don't know, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything in the chat room happening there where people want to argue about that one? Let me get rid of that. No, not at the moment. Right, okay. Um, just while we're on this, um, there's, a lot of been, there's been a lot of uh, recognition of how Indigenous leaders past, present and emerging at the beginning of just interviews and stuff like that, particularly around this time of day. Mm. And honestly, folks, people have to earn your respect. If you're going to pay respect to somebody, they've got to earn it. Just past, present and emerging, well, respect is earned. You just don't give it to somebody. Um, Here's a story which said an Indigenous elder challenged another senior Aboriginal identity to meet her outside to settle a public argument (laughs) after being angrily heckled while delivering the Welcome to Country address at the Palaszczuk Cabinet annual Christmas reception. In extraordinary scenes in front of a stunned Premier and hundreds of Queensland business and community identities last night, Police Commissioner Katerina Carroll, who was attending the event, was forced to intervene. The bizarre confrontation began when Deputy Premier Stephen Miles invited Jagera Elder... Uncle Desmond Sandy and daughter Auntie Deborah Sandy to give the traditional welcome. A female guest interjected, shouting that the land did not belong to the pair and that her own people had been massacred. Miss Sandy, who spoke after her father, interrupted her speech to order the woman to be quiet and show some respect or meet her outside. She said she was a proud warrior woman. That's how we roll, she said. I don't want to pay any respects to the elders past, present or emerging in that group. Thank you very much. Exactly, because that is the sort of nonsense that you should not be respecting. 
<sighs> Apparently, they, there there is such a thing as turf wars among various indigenous groups who get paid for doing these ceremonies. You know, and right. uh, do, do you remember on the ABC there was a comedy program? Uh, featuring Indigenous actors and writers uh, called Black Comedy. Did yep. you ever watch that? Yeah. They even had a, a sketch based on that theme. Right, differences. Yeah, we, as, different, as different groups right. were arguing over who was going to uh, deliver the uh, Welcome to Country ceremony and get the fee. Right, yep. yeah. They yeah. even made fun of it themselves and this right. was written by Indigenous people. Right, there you go. So, um, uh that would have been quite a scene, I would have imagined. <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved to have seen the looks on the faces mm. of the uh, attending uh, mm. politicians and dignitaries. It would have been a hell of a fight, wouldn't it? Mm. Now, before we leave Australia Day, uh, thoughts on Australia Day Awards? Oh, look, I just think that they're being handed out. You know, it was again on the Batuta Advocate I was listening to. Mm. They said that um, they're handing it out to people that are good at their jobs. Yes. You know, you've got exceptional sport people getting recognised. You've got exceptional politicians, journalists being recognised, all that sort of shit. Mm. Although Kerry O'Brien, my hat is off to him because he um, said that he was not going to accept his award because Margaret Court was being given an award, which I agreed wholeheartedly with him. So, really? Yeah. So he, if you were offered an Australia Day award and you didn't like the, you know, social opinions of another person getting an award, you would... And Jules back? Exactly, yeah. Really? Because, you know, anyway, we realise we're going to talk about Margaret Court, so, Mm. you know, I might as well kick that off. Yeah. I think that she is a bigot extraordinaire who has some extreme Christian attitudes and that sort of stuff, and her attitudes towards homosexuality is quite offensive. Do I think that that should have... Disqualified her from getting an Australia Day award? Probably. Why? Why? Are you upset about people being offended? Offended by what she said? But about anything. I mean, well, I think that what she said was. Uh, I think that um, you know, it's it's no better. It'd be it'd be no better if we had um, elevated Israel Folau and given him an award for being an exceptional rugby player and all that sort of thing after what he'd said. Now, I agree with what you're saying, that he should have the right to say it, and I'm going to defend her right to say it, but we should not be awarding her for saying it. She's not being awarded for saying that. She's being awarded for her tennis achievements. Okay, let's have a look at her awards and recognitions. Can you just take that up a little bit? Yeah. Appointed an officer of the Order of Australia in 2007. Golden Racket Award, Italian Tennis Federation, 2007. The Philip Chartier Award for International Tennis Federation, 2006. Western Australia's Greatest Ever Tennis Player and Greatest Ever Female Sports Star, 2005. Legend Sport Australia Hall of Fame, 1998. Inductee Australian Tennis Hall of Fame, 1993. Inductee International Tennis Hall of Fame, 1979. Appointed member of the British Empire in 1967. I think she's got enough awards, don't you? Who decides that she's got enough and and she doesn't deserve another award? Well... I would have thought that her outspoken behaviour and that sort of stuff should have disqualified her from receiving any more God, awards. Oh Why? My God, I thought you were on board with people have a right to be offended, but nobody else has a right to care. I mean, nobody else has to care if they're offended, surely. You don't have to care. People have a right to be a, people have a right to be a bigot. 
And they have a right to be offended. And, 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 and who cares? And people have a right to criticise them. And that, when they, when they have bigots and that sort of stuff, I think they should be removed from oh. the public awarding. People are entitled to their personal opinion. She's entitled. Nobody's saying she's not. No, Scott is saying she shouldn't get an award because she but, holds that opinion. But, but you see, Absolutely. But nobody's stopping her. He's not saying she should be stopped from saying no, these No, she should be allowed to no, say what saying she should be punished. She should be penalised for having attitudes that you don't like. Well, no, no he's I saying, think that she, she's would, saying she, she shouldn't be getting an award because of her offensive, because of what she oh says. Oh, my God, Scott, that is so, such a bigoted attitude. You're it's saying, not bigoted. It is. It's you not are, bigoted. I mean, you accuse her of being a bigot. You are, ex- you are displaying anti Christian bigotry. It's the same. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same. I, okay. How is, it, how is it any better to be an anti Christian bigot? Is he. Is he being offended at her being a Christian or her being an arsehole? Oh, the latter, rather than the former. That is ridiculous. Well, no, no. Being an arsehole. She's not being an arsehole. She's being a human being who expresses her opinions. Can I just throw an idea into this mix here? Yeah. Rolf Harris. Yeah. Yeah. He won some Australian award of some sort. He did. Order of Australia or whatever. He did. I'm pretty sure we took it off him when he became a convicted pedophile. That's right. So... We are, and you are okay with that? Uh, I can see why people would have wanted to take it off him. Probably wouldn't argue against that one. (sighs) Look, you know, why he won the award, (laughs) I think, was quite separate to what he did uh, in his private life. But when we offer an award to somebody like these, we're saying they did a really good job and, and they're a role model for other Australians. When, when, is when, every re- recipient of an award here a role model for other Australians? It, it, it's, it's implied in the whole thing Is it? That, that they're role model. Because when, when Rolf Harris, we say, shit, you're a pedophile, yeah. uh, oops, no longer you have the award. Well, like, pedophile is a criminal offence. I, I know, but, but you're Having getting... Having an anti-gay uh, but, bigotry, if you want to but, call it that, but is can you, not a criminal offence. But, but can offense. you concede by I, the Rolf I Harris example that... that that the award does encompass um, that's beyond well, beyond your your services to yeah, music yeah. or tennis. Okay. There is a role model aspect to it. Can I, you, I, can, I can see that. Okay. But look, so he Scott committed is, a criminal offence. Yep. She has not committed any criminal offences. Yeah. Yes. I'm not denying that. I'm not denying and, and he's not, that. But he's I not wanting to put her in jail. He's no, just simply I'm just saying, simply saying that we shouldn't award yeah. her for having those. She's not being awarded for her opinions. She's being awarded for her tennis achievements. And, and who I are just, you to, I just went who through, are you to say I, I just went that through, she doesn't deserve another one? But that's but, not but for you to decide. And read out but, the awards but, and recognitions. It's that not for been, you to decide she doesn't deserve another one. Well, I'm allowed to because I'm allowed to have an opinion. Yeah, you're allowed to your opinion. But I mean. It's you know you're you're saying oh she's got enough she doesn't she shouldn't get another one and by the way I hate her opinion you know I mean yeah, I know I hate her opinion I'm saying that but you know I just think to myself and as you know Scott I don't agree with her opinion that's good I'm pleased to hear that I don't I don't but, agree yeah, with I just any think- of her Christian stupid opinions I don't agree with her anti-homosexual opinion. But I will fight for her right to express her opinion. Paul, and I am not, when, not, we're not arguing with that. You've got to rephrase that because it's not about fighting for her right to express her opinion. We're saying she has the right. It's whether they're... Whether but she they're can't a, get an award because it, I don't like It's whether like her other opinion. people can say, I think that's a shitty idea that you have, and, and, and other people <laughs> expressing their speech. 
Robin has just pointed out that she promotes the criminal offence of conversion therapy. Oh, well, yeah, it's a criminal offence now. But but when you talk about her right to her freedom of speech, um, you've got to look at it from the point of view is other people have a freedom of speech to say her ideas are shitty. Yes, and they can express that. Yes. And so they're saying to the awarders of this prize, hey, guys, we think when you award this that people with really shitty character shouldn't get a role model award. So now you're saying she has a shitty character? Yeah. Okay. Well, I she, think she has yeah. a shitty character and yeah. that sort of stuff because her yeah. her behaviour is quite reprehensible yeah. when she gets up there and sprouts all her nonsense. Yeah. And that's why I don't think she deserves the award. It's yeah. nonsense, Scott. I agree with you. Her opinions are nonsense. Yeah. I do not defend her opinions. I simply defend her right to have opinions that don't, you know, slot into the currently fashionable, you know, you can't be a bigot and you can't dislike gay people and you can't dislike... I mean, she doesn't even dislike gay people and she's stated that publicly. She just disagrees with homosexuality because that's what her religious views tell her, you know, so... And I agree that she should be allowed she should be allowed to say that as much as she wants, but I just don't think that we should be awarding her at all because she's not being awarded for that, Scott. I know. Let's that, get that clear. But she's being awarded for she's, her she's, tennis prowess and all that sort of stuff, but then what yeah, Trevor there said is There's a role is model right. component in this. Exactly. So there's, you, there's undoubtedly a role model component in this. I think if you were going to t- go down that line, you could dig into the past of probably a lot of the re- award recipients mm. and you would find something you didn't like and then you could equally say they shouldn't get an award i don't like their attitudes well i'm sorry this is a pluralistic society (laughs) we have to accept that we don't all have to have the same opinions on these sort of things or anything here's an argument she already has an order of australia and she hasn't played a tennis match since 2007 so she couldn't have improved her tennis ability did she play a tennis match in 2007 when do we stop you guys accuse her of bigotry. You guys are exhibiting bigotry against her. No, well, I think are. that I think that this whole awards thing has been bigotry is a, a prejudice against somebody for their for their behaviour, their views, their ideas. This is just criticism. It's not just criticism. You're no. saying she shouldn't get an award. That's, that's I, I, because I'm, of her views. And I'm saying an award that has a role model component. So, for example, if she played tennis and won the US Open, and she was a complete asshole. I would say, give her the award of the US Open Championship because being an asshole is irrelevant to oh, that award. Being an asshole? But, what but kind if you're of giving an award, if you're giving an Australia Day award, there is a component of role model in it, is what I'm saying. Oh, so that's, that's she's not an asshole. That's, okay. That's not what sort, of, what sort of, you know. Intellectual assessment is that she's it's an a, asshole. It's a summary. Oh, it's colourful language. It's like colourful language is like, all right. It's but like if the you want to say why it's like she the colourful language you used in the previous award, article, or doesn't uh, or doesn't deserve, she's an asshole. I think we need a little bit more than that. I don't really want to go through listing all of her statements. Oh. Anyway, I thought Mel Jones mm. hit the nail right on the head. She said her bigotry is current, not in the past. So that's I think you're, that's right. You're as big a bigot as she is, Scott, if you want to Can judge you have a definition of bigot, Joe, please? I, I had a look before. Mm-hmm. Where is it? Bigotry, obstinate or unreasonable <laughs> attachment to a belief, opinion or faction or 
prejudice against a person or people on the basis of their membership of a particular group. Now she's a membership, a member of you know what we it's call not because of the membership of no, being no, a it's Christian. Not because she's a Christian. Oh, like there's a guy here, the guy who won the um, the rabbi, Doctor John Simon Levi, AM. Don't have a problem. He's Jewish. It's not because she's religious. What if, what if he said so, something critical about Palestinians one time? Would you say, oh, he's a bigot? Depend what he said. Doesn't deserve then it. I would consider it. it would depend. So a bigot would be, well, he's a Jew, he doesn't get the award. Whereas <laughs> a, a rational, reasonable person says, well, tell me the circumstances and I'll consider it. No, so I think uh, bigoted is a little harsh, Paul. Margaret Court is just expressing an opinion that she has derived from her Christian beliefs, and she's yeah, more and it's than a she's more opinion. Than, she's more than a, more than capable of expressing that opinion. We've heard her opinion loud and clear, yeah. and she's expressed it. Mm. And I honestly believe that those sorts of express expressing that sort of opinion should cut you off from the award. Okay. The award is something that they like. Trevor's, you know, Trevor's right that you've got a role model. Part of that award, so I don't think she can be seen as a positive role model. But yeah. well, you're entitled to your opinion, but Which is you know, the people mm. who who decided to you're, give you're, her an, the award mm. saw her differently. You're, you're, you're taking a postmodernist view of morality oh, here. Give me a break, because you're really <laughs> saying, who are you to say that her morals are bad? No, I'm, tr- I'm looking for some consistency. No, 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 but that's what you're saying is she should be able to say anything because who are you to say that her morals are bad? And so who are you to judge is, is really what you're saying. No, what I'm saying is we live in a pluralist society mm. where different opinions should be tolerated because we're each entitled to our own. Now, as you know, I don't agree with her, yeah, but, but I support her right to have her own views mm. and to you know carry on her life. She does conduct her life in a yeah, law-abiding yeah, there's manner. A between, there's a difference between tolerating and applauding. So I tolerate... She's being applauded for her tennis. Can I just answer? I I tolerate her her crazy views and sort of despicable views, but I don't applaud them. And when you give an award like this, you're going beyond toleration. You're actually applauding them. that's, That's where our fundamental difference is in how you view the award. You obviously downplay the role model component of this well, and you see it as purely technical as to their achievement in a skill set and you don't really care about other factors i i just think you guys are saying that she's being rewarded for her views i don't think she is she's being rewarded she's been giving an award which has an achievement and a role model component to it Anyway, we're going around in circles. We are. The, it's interesting. The, the, the first two on the list for the companion in the Division General of the Order of Australia, given by the Morrison government, the first two, Margaret Court and, um, and uh, this guy, Rabbi Dr John Simon. So two, two religious two people, religious people yeah. have scored. And I honestly I'm, believe that was what was going on in Morrison's mind at the time, thinking, oh, yeah, I'll upset the poofs out there by yeah. uh, nominating Margaret Court. Mm. Because Morrison, yeah, Morrison doesn't pick them. Well, it's an independent body that has yeah. been selected to choose the recipients. It's not. Oh. It's not Morrison deciding. I'm sorry, who, it isn't. Who picked the people on the board? I don't know, but they were selected. A panel was mm. selected. It's a bunch of people from mm. different walks of life. Mm. Morrison doesn't pick them. I'm sorry. Mm. Somebody tell us how the award 
the side as a picked. That'd yeah. be interesting to know. Mm. It would be. I suspect they're appointed mm. by government. Mm. Hey, I cop some stick in the chat room there. Did some you? people complaining about me. What? You know, but anyway, what have you done thank now, you. Trevor? Thank you for those who are supporting me. Keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hang on a minute. Yes, Karen. Uh, yes, I did just say poofs. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. Um, That's a really old-fashioned word now, isn't it? I know. Yeah. yeah. What do you want me to say? I had a gay yeah. uncle, and he used to use the word poof. Yeah. Well, you are, you are wearing reading glasses with diamantes. I on know them, that, so. yeah. Because <laughs> I haven't got my reading glasses with I me. I they're my wife's, from they're my wife's glasses, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, come across this uh, article from James Cridlin. Dear listener, we've got this issue with the news media bargaining code. Hang on a minute. A- a- according to Bronwyn Ben, AO council members are chosen by the PM. Oh, funny that. Yeah, exactly. There we go. But that's not to say he tells them who to choose. Paul, <laughs> how, how does the world work, Paul? <laughs> no, I'm yeah. sorry. I don't think I don't think he would you know, or, or play he, such a risky game. Or does he, he pick like-minded people? Exactly, yes. that's the whole point. He picks like-minded well, people who then think to can, themselves, "Oh, we better throw the left a bone, so we'll nominate we'll nominate Kerry O'Brien." I don't think it'd be too hard to find out who's on the panel. So. Yeah. Okay, in the chat room or somebody, tell us who is on this panel, and and be interesting to know their credentials. That would be good. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised if what's his name from the head of Hillsong's on there. So. Mm. It's just a very strange choice, of, yeah, uh, Margaret Court. Anyway, it was extremely strange because, he, like mm. you said, she's already received an Order yeah. of Australia in two thousand and seven. When Tony Abbott gave that award to Prince Philip, yeah, Philip. that was that was I mean, a, that was a captain's call. That was a captain's call. Yeah, so he was actually. Making a decision himself, and he got a lot of flack to, for that, yeah. and, and he deservedly probably, so. I agree, and prob- that's probably why the, the the government since then has decided to sort of outsource. Did the, you have a problem with the Prince Philip? Huge problem. Oh, what was that problem? Well, I'm an anti-royalist for for one. But thing. he's done, you know, services to the country. Yeah, but I he wouldn't. Are you done bigoted against a member of the royal family? You just, Perhaps you just, I am. you just bigoted against him because he's a member of the royal family. Possibly, like, but I just I think, think assuming, royalty. Assuming is... he did a good job, then why wouldn't he be good for the goal? Yeah, he like, cuts ribbons really effectively. Right. Well, for starters, so, for so, starters, Australia Day honours are for Australians, funnily enough. Right. Now, yeah. the, the Duke of Edinburgh <laughs> is not, although being married to our Queen, who is funnily enough, is also not an Australian, is not an Australian citizen. Yeah. So I don't believe he should have received an Australia Day Honours Award. I agree with you. I, I thought it was ridiculous that Abbott tried to resurrect the whole bloody thing anyway. Mm. But it was, you know, I've, I got reminded of a post on Facebook mm. that I put up six years ago. It was exactly this point. And it's, I said in there that, you know, our Prime Minister has hit rock bottom and started to dig mm-hmm. with those awards. That was an absolutely ridiculous thing to do. Roman says that it's kind of hidden uh, who it is. It would take a bit of research to chase down, if at all. Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, that's Australia Day for another year. And we'll be back here arguing, we'll be arguing the same, same things again next year. <laughs> in 52 weeks. Do you think Margaret Court could get another award next year? God, I hope not. Hopefully she'll be dead by then. <laughs> oh, that's I'm, a bit nasty, I'm, Scott. I'm, I'm hoping it'll be out in, in some stage in the future I'll receive an award for my services to Satanism. And we'll <laughs> I, look forward, I look forward to receiving Do you it. want to hear a funny story I heard on the radio on the way over? Mm. I was listening to a, ABC National... Um, Classical, or it might be MBS, but anyway, it was one of those classical music stations. And the guy was talking about Giuseppe Verdi, 
the mm-hmm. famous, I think it was Italian composer. Mm-hmm. And apparently he, uh, he was an altar boy. You know, he worked in the local church when he was a kid. And when he was eight, apparently he was, he was um, they used to conduct this ritual where the priest would read a line and the attending altar boys had to respond. It was a kind okay. of, you know, what do they yeah. say? Yeah. Shout and yes. call, call and response. Yeah, call and call response. response. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And apparently, he, he was like he was only eight years old, but he must have dozed off or lost his concentration or something. And the priest said something, and he failed to respond. And the priest gave him a good hard kick. And according to the story, Verity looked at the stared at the priest and said, "May the Lord strike you down with lightning." Wow. Or, or kill you dead with light, strike you dead with lightning, and apparently, ten about ten years later, that priest was struck by lightning and killed. <laughs> I don't know that's, if it's a true that, story. No, but that sounds like a I, bullshit I, I, story. I was, if you, you you know who James Randi is, yes. Um, apparently, every morning when he got up, he would sign a piece of paper. Saying today is the day I'm going to die, and sign it and date it and put it in his wallet <laughs> on the grounds that if he dropped dead that day, he would have accurately predicted his death. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, it's an mm. interesting anecdote. I thought. Okay, change of pace. Um, the news media bargaining code. We've basically got this fight where the uh, newspapers, particularly the Murdoch papers, are saying to Google, "You're making money off us." and you should be paying a fee because we're not making any money and you're getting money from us. So the government has agreed that Google and Facebook should be paying some money to these news organisations for providing content. And they're basically... For SBS and ABC. Yes. Hmm. And they're basically working out ways of how that should be negotiated and structured, etc., and this article from James Cridland is a good one because he really looks into the nuts and bolts of what actually happens. So he's saying the proposed law will force Google and Facebook to pay Australian news businesses to link to their stories or feature stories in their service. So uh, just so we understand what's going on, here's a search for the news bargaining code. And what you'll see when you do a Google search for the term news bargaining code is an ACCC link. And then Google has this thing called Top Stories and uh, basically stories that you might find in news sources. And there's two of them there from from ZDNet about this topic and then there's typical Google searches underneath that. So when you do a Google search, it sort of has a sort of a Top Stories spot on your Google page with some links to some of the top-rated news stories. And um, um, as James points out here, he says, as Google says in its support documents, you can use the publisher centre tool to share your content with Google News by submitting um, stuff to them. But if you don't want to appear in that top stories news section, you can tell Google that you don't want to appear there. And for that matter, you can just take yourself um, off Google entirely if you want to. You can say to Google... I've got a website here, but do not list us on your index service. So um, so if they wanted to, they could just take their stuff off Google. Well, why don't they do that? Because people see the articles and they go, oh, that looks like an interesting article. 
and they go and click on it. And one of two things happens normally. One is that you go to a site and it's paywalled and it says, oh, you found this interesting. Here's the first three lines and sign up here if you want to read the whole article. Or you go to a, uh, a page where it will give you the article, but it'll be loaded with advertisements in amongst the article boxes and things that pop up. So, so the news services, you know, it's their, their content isn't being repeated by Google if they don't want it to be. They could hide it behind a paywall and people are encouraged to click and, and subscribe if they want to. So the point that he's making is really good is that Google's not just lifting these stories and reproducing them without payment. It's basically providing a teaser for the news organisations and they're benefiting from it. And if they weren't benefiting from it, they could withdraw from Google's indexing if they wanted to. So the problem is it's really hard to get that sort of um, just simple explanation of what's happening because where are you going to read about it? In a news article, in a newspaper? Or on Google. Uh, 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 yes, where there's people have an agenda. So it's really hard just to get a straightforward explanation that Google's not stealing this stuff. In fact, it's directing people to the newspaper sites and people can decide to go further or not. Does Google actually produce or collate any news of its own? I don't think it does, does it? Only from people who let it. Like, if, if But, a, I mean, it doesn't have its own no, Google it's, News. It's an anything. aggregator. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so Murdoch's just convinced the Morrison government, of course, that it needs money for something that it doesn't deserve, I think. So you're it's on a pretty, pretty good case. You're on Google's side this time. I am, yeah. Why am I surprised? I didn't think of that until I read right. this article, right. until I read the article that you said to me. Yeah. You know, that was one of the things I thought to myself, Jesus, okay, mm. that's a very different way of looking at it. Mm. Because I was very much on board of it before. I thought to myself, well, you know, we've got to stand up to Google and Facebook. Mm. But now that you read that, you think to yourself, okay, that's yeah. a very different way of looking at it. Yep. And and they don't even earn advertising from just the indexing, like where they have a page which has sort of these, like that page, News Bargaining Code, there's not a single ad appearing in there. So it's not like they're getting ad, ad revenue on the side on these things. So mm. Google's um, just providing a service for the news organisations. If, if Murdoch doesn't want it to happen, he can just <clears throat> come off it. But it actually drives people onto his site and now he's conned uh, the government into providing money. Karen is saying that it does actually breach copyright law. Uh, the first, by providing the teaser lines. The, 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 mm. There isn't fair use mm. in our copyright law. So what's Karen saying here? That there is fair use? There, no, the, there is no fair use mm. in Australian copyright. Yeah, and if Murdoch wasn't happy with what Google is doing, they could say to Google, stop it, take us off. But they don't. So no, it's in their interest. Yes, it's in their interest to yes. be there. Yeah. So g- basically, um, it may be a technical breach of copyright, but given it's gone on so long and they've had every opportunity to tell Google they don't want it to continue, they're more or less consenting to those extracts, those sort of teaser lines, the first sort of few few lines. And also, mm. they used to if you came from Google, mm. uh, they didn't pay all that article. Right. So it, it, 
you get what's called a referrer code. If the referrer right. code said you were coming from Google. Right. So, in other words, you'd come from a Google search. Yeah. Um, it didn't paywall that article. Right. When you tried to click on any other article, you'd hit the paywall. Right. But the initial article was free. Okay. But now? But now it doesn't do that yeah. anymore. And, and that's been the case for about two years, I think. Yeah. So, so I think whatever breach of copyright might be happening now is something that publishers are consenting to and they could easily stop if they wanted to. Just tell Google, don't put us in your news service, don't list us. Mm. Don't want to be there. But they obviously do. Mm. So I thought that was interesting. You had a an experience with Facebook, didn't you? Um, that was Cam Riley. Is that what you're talking? Oh, about? it was Cam Riley. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I uh, well, misunderstood. I thought it was you. No. Well, let's talk about that one. Mm. So I'll jump ahead to that one. Um, oh, incidentally, just in the chat room, uh, Mel says the Order of Australia Committee Chair Shane Stone was a Northern Territory Chief Minister. Anyone care to guess which party? He was from the country Liberal Party, yeah. There we go. That makes him evil, obviously. It doesn't make him evil, but it, it does, it does it colour the whole did, thing. Oh, come yeah. on. It does colour the whole thing because he's a Liberal God Tory and that guys. sort of stuff, and he's honestly thought to himself, I'll just keep the boss happy by, you know, throwing a gong at Margaret Court. You guys. You, you, you don't think... You don't think he's got such a black and white view of the world, you know? We do, yes. Labor Party good, it's Liberal not, Party evil, bad guys. No, 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 no. that is not well, the well, case. Well, well, make it well, so it sounds well, so this simplistic. Is about, this is about power and understanding how power works. When you have the power to appoint somebody to a position, mm. you appoint somebody who you think will comply with what you want to happen, right. and that's all they are. So, is so, compliant. so when. When the um, when the Republican Party appoints a judge mm-hmm. to the Supreme Court, it takes great care sure to appoint somebody who it thinks will make decisions the way they want the decisions mm-hmm. to be made. That's how power works. It's not about, and this is on both sides of politics. But you're Paul. oversimplifying. No, 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 Paul, Paul, oversimplifying no, no, Paul. People you, are more you, complex you wanted than to that. frame this as an argument of good guys and bad guys, and oh, liberal must be bad. This is a, this applies on both sides of politics, but you have to understand how power works. People with power don't give it away; they use it. Yeah, but you're suggesting that if someone's appointed by the prime minister, he is going to be on the phone, Scotty. Who do you want me to yeah, appoint? Straw man. Is this guy okay? <laughs> Paul, I mean, Paul complete straw man. Shane Stone is Paul, his own person. Paul, he has his we, own opinions, we, and com- he probably thanked Scott for the appointment and then got on with Paul, doing the complete job. Complete straw man. We never suggested that he got on the phone and told him. But well, that's what the you whole, seem to. The imply. whole point of this is you appoint mates, and mates know what you want, oh. and mates have the same viewpoint. agenda and viewpoint anyway. Oh, they you don't, don't all have the same you, viewpoint. They, they have the generally the same viewpoints. Oh, I disagree. Let, let, so, we're mates. We don't have the same viewpoint. Yeah, yeah, I'm not but, appointing you to any board. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know how you'd be voting on certain things, and there's no way I'm appointing you. <laughs> no, I mean, I, just, I don't know what Shane Stone's attitude was towards homosexuality or anything like that. But it really wouldn't surprise me if he thought to himself, oh, I'll, I'll, flick the, I'll flick the boss a bone by giving this to Margaret Court. It really would not surprise me at all. Life's full of surprises, yeah. I agree. Mm. Here's another surprise that Cam Riley had. So this came on his Facebook page. Um, he wrote, Facebook is threatening to delete this page. So Cam's got um, history podcasts. Um, 
So Cold War and, and other history podcasts. And so he said, Facebook is threatening to delete this page because I apparently keep breaching their community standards. They just deleted a post I made back in March that showed a certain German Führer looking at a plaque in Sarajevo to Gavrilo Princip. I wrote, quote, the guy who started World War II looking at a plaque for the guy who started World War I. Apparently that went against their community standards. You can't talk about history here anymore. So Google, so Facebook um, threatened to delete him because of that. That's and, ridiculous. And then another instance here, Cam says, I just spent two hours talking to someone in Facebook business support about how to get my ad manager unrestricted. I got nowhere. Check this out. They've restricted my ad manager account, meaning I can't post any ads for 30 days because I tried to promote a post on our Cold War podcast that was about the creation of the CIA in 1948. As the word elections appeared in the post, Facebook decided it was about politics. Because I was targeting American audiences with the ad, they wanted me to prove I live in the USA. Because I can't do that, I'm stuck in purgatory. I explained to the support person that it's not about contemporary politics, it's about history. But there's nothing he can do. He can't appeal it, he can't change it. Even though I deleted the ad, I'm still in purgatory. It's completely ridiculous. Facebook is possibly the worst customer support I've ever encountered. There you go. Don't rely on Facebook if you're out there for your business because they can pull it out from under you at any time, as what happened with YouTube as well with people. Mm. Crazy, isn't it? Sympathies and thoughts and prayers for you, Cam, over your fight with uh, Facebook. And this is one of the problems with monopolies and crappy service like this. Like, um, uh, We need to probably try and somehow break up these monopolies so that there's some competition. Not sure how you do it. Um, uh, also, still on media. Yeah, this is really interesting. Mm, Sky News. I've got bugger all in audiences watching mm. their shows. So someone like Alan Jones has fewer than 60,000 viewers. By comparison, the 7.30 report gets 10 times that. But when you look at um, digital media, then Sky News is killing it. And essentially they're creating videos that they are cross-promoting through News Corp, and they're often actually doing a lot of stuff which is um, favourable to the right wing, and it's not even Australian, it's sort of US politics. To the point they actually had an interview with, um, who was that guy? I'll see if I can find it here. Um, uh, it was a really big American guy in the Trump camp. Let me just see. Oh, uh, a 20-minute interview with Steve Bannon was on Sky News Australia. And uh, they're actually getting huge numbers of people in America watching their Sky News stuff from Australia. So Sky News is actually just kicking unbelievable goals in the digital world, even though it's it's sort of listenership uh, in the standard way of people just tuning into Sky News is abysmal. It's a really interesting situation happening there. They're getting quite powerful in their digital play, even though nobody's watching the goddamn show. It's scary. 
What that says to me is, is you've got a lot of people that are out there that are cherry-picking what news they want to hear. Mm. So they're going to be looking for Sky News and that sort of stuff and pulling mm. up YouTube videos. And because they're prepared to deal with American politics, they've got that huge population of Americans tuning into their stuff, which just beefs up all their sort of um, credibility. Presumably mm. means that they've monetized their YouTube and that sort of mm. stuff, so they must be making some money out of that. Mm. So Sky News, even though nobody's watching it, is actually doing really well because mm. of its digital play. That's scary. Um, oh, let's talk about some free speech. Why not? Pete Evans. <laughs> celebrity chef Pete Evans was removed from Facebook after telling followers not to get tested for COVID-19. What do you think of that, Twelfth Man? What do I think of it? Mm. Do I care? I mean, what do I think of it? Well, he's entitled to tell people what he thinks, I suppose. So, I'm not getting tested for COVID either. And Facebook banning him for that. It's a pretty trivial reason to ban someone, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That sort of but mis- you'd probably say it's dangerous, wouldn't you? Uh, uh, see, I'm old school from the Enlightenment philosophers uh, where freedom of speech is also hand-in-hand in hand with the harm principle. But call me old-fashioned Enlightenment theorist, if you like. But that's just the way I view it. As you know, I'm also a fan of the Enlightenment. Mm, you just don't like the harm principle. <laughs> <laughs> the sort of social contract. Well, you really like suppose, upsetting him, don't you, Paul? Right, don't you, Trevor? Right, right. It's, I, yes, but, it goes you know, hand in harm, hand. Harm is an abstract, and I think mm. where we don't meet is mm. on deciding what is harm. Mm. You, you know his new nickname, don't you? Who's new nickname? Uh, Pete Evans. No. He's now Polio Pete. Polio, polio Pete. <laughs> So, what was he before? Paleo Pete. Paleo Pete. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's sort of wrong, doesn't right. it? Yeah. Okay, uh, that was that and that. Um, tennis players in quarantine. Paul, should tennis players coming into Australia to play the Australian Open be forced into quarantine? Well, I don't know. I suppose if they're coming from somewhere where there's a raging epidemic, then probably, are they? In the United States and Europe, Yes. So if they're coming from London and New York? There's, there's a virus going around over there, I hear. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are mixed reports about exactly who's being affected and they're all young and healthy, so they're not in the danger cohort, are they? I don't think we've ever spoken about quarantine as such so much. So are you in favour of quarantining international tennis players, non-Australians, when they come into the country for... Not necessarily. I mean, if there was... let a, them in. If there was a, some sort of specific, you know, pressing need to do it, I, you know... You don't see one at the moment? I, I frankly don't. Right. Just let them in. Just let them in. Okay. Anybody um, else have an opinion? Come on, guys. Don't be shy. Just, did, you, did you know that in the early 20th century there was plague in Sydney? The bubonic plague broke yes. out? Yes, I was aware. That was quite interesting to see what they did then as compared to under the current pandemic. This isn't the plague. Mm. Did they restrict their freedom by any chance? Just, just, just a touch. Mm. Mind you, it was only poor people, so they didn't count. Mm. Hey, spectators found God. Paul? <laughs> I doubt it, Trevor. I didn't know he was missing. I very much doubt the spectator has found God. The spectator 
isn't a life form. It can't find, you know, me. I think it is a life form. Anyway, in their subscriber email on the 8th of January, which I received, Mm -hmm. in this week's, so it started off, the very first paragraph, in this week's issue, Neil Brown hopes that God will save the national anthem from the editorial predations of the Prime Minister. Mm -hmm. That sounds godly. Mm -hmm. Jeremy Luke Bate reveals how the drugs he was exposed to in the womb contributed to his gender dysphoria and how the Catholic Church helped him regain his sexual orientation and his moral compass. Well done, Jeremy. That sounds godly. godly. Pray away the gay. That's the first two items. Exactly. The second item, Kevin Andrews says. Well, he's a Catholic, isn't he? It's high time Australia had a a Magnitsky Act to sanction international human rights abuses. Mm -hmm. Maurice Newman examines how the global elites got the president they wanted and James Allen gloats that Britain's diehard Remainers have been hoist on their own petards and Mark Higgy reflects on the woke Iron Curtain dividing Europe. So the first two items were really... But Trevor, you are now cherry-picking, aren't you? You're specifically looking for something that suggests belief in religious mumbo-jumbo, and you've highlighted it. You could do the same, you know, pick your topic that you don't like, Go to the Guardian or the ABC or Sydney Morning Herald or any of them, and you can do you know engage in the same sort of exercise. I just found I these two really really you'd... strange topics. The first two were just really odd. Well, I know, don't think you'd find any religious support in the Guardian or the ABC. I'm not necessarily talking about religious support, mm-hmm. Scott. I'm talking mm-hmm. about you know obviously Trevor, unless it was Islam, has a prejudice against Christians, <laughs> or at least. This is the feeling I get from things he says. And so he's looking for evidence that The Guardian has some Christian writers. I thought you had a prejudice against supernatural belief. Yes, the belief, not the people. Well, well, I'm the same. Okay, but no, you're saying that you're you're impugning the whole publication, The Guardian, because a few articles are written by people who believe in I, I just, supernatural people. I just, I just found this particular issue that kicked off with... So the first article, Neil Brown, the paradox of our age of abundance is that we fret incessantly about scarcity and yet, like the wisdom of the Lord, the stupidity of our governing classes is infinite. Mm-hmm. And the Jeremy Luke Bate article, the subline was Sex, Drugs and Gender Dysphoria. Catholicism is an anchor in a sea of moral relativism. Yeah. Ideas that I have really little sympathy for. But, Mm. Trevor, Mm. you know, I'm perfectly capable of going through The Guardian, Mm. reading the articles and deciding whether I agree with them or don't agree with them. Mm. And I find quite a lot Mm. whose opinions I do agree with. And I I Mm. frankly like the way they write, like that Mm. one I read about Cricket Australia. Mm. I find the writing is generally pretty good, often very entertaining and humorous. It's very colourful and hyperbolic. Yes. That's what I hate about it. Well, it's entertaining, Trevor. That's what I hate about it. You you like to read dry academic stuff, do you? No, it's it's very straw manish. It, oh, it, well. it just it makes assertions that I just don't think are there. Yeah, that's what I that's you, what you, I don't like about it. Because you probably don't agree with what they're saying. Mm. But look, the Guardian, 
the Guardian, not the Guardian, the Spectator, I meant to say, the Spectator, you know, they publish quite a big range of different writers. Mm. And I'm pr- pretty sure it's safe to say they're not all Christians or religious in any, any way. Some of them are, and I've read some of them. I've read articles by, I read that one by Kevin Andrews, mm. and I kind of agreed with his assessment of China, I have to say. Mm-hmm. I read one about Tony Abbott. I don't think it had anything to do with religion, but I may be wrong. Um, you know, I mean, people can be religious and you can agree with them on some things and disagree with them on other things, surely, can't you? Sure. But are these very pro-religious articles, the first two? Well, they are. I agree with you. Mm. But I don't think they are representative Mm. of the publication as a whole. Mm. Anyone picking up the the, uh, Spectator for the first time and reading that would go, what is this, the Catholic leader? Well, they might. They might. But then again, you know, if they they looked at... Most of the other articles, they wouldn't get that impression at all. Mm. But I find it a very entertaining read, I have to say. And, uh, you know, and they're not partic- usually not particularly long articles, so, you know, that's good for my short attention span. <laughs> ah, <laughs> we've rattled through these um, quicker than I thought we would, and I don't know that I... That's because you gave up on the argument with Paul over quarantining tennis no, I just was interested to know. I just... Yeah. I, I know why he thinks that way. You don't know why. I, I do so. know. You do know. Yeah, because he doesn't well, believe you value virus. freedom above yeah. everything else, and you don't think it should be constrained, well, except in the most extreme circumstances. Yes, I think so. That's probably. Yeah, and I just wondered whether that there's a line there somewhere, and I wondered whether quarantining you are still okay with. But it doesn't surprise me that you've got that view. But I just. It surprises me, actually. Anyway. It so, turns did, out, by did, the way, that Shane Stone... Who's Shane Stone? He's the former... He's the head of the oh, AO committee, yeah. Okay, for the... Yeah, the chief minister... other people chief. on it. It's not oh, no, just no, no, no. Shane but Stone. Yeah. He's a life member of the Greek Orthodox community. He's also a member of... Uh, uh, he's a Knight of the Magistral Grace of the Sovereign Military Hospitalier <laughs> Order of St. John of Jerusalem, wow. of Rhodes and of Malta in the Order of the Catholic Church. Wow. Gee, and the first two appointees for the highest gong were uh, a Christian minister and a Jewish rabbi. rabbi. Mm. There you go. Interesting. In, in our proud Judeo-Christian heritage. Yes. Mm. Funny that. Yeah. Mm. But I wonder who else is on the panel because there are others and they're probably unlikely to be members of that particular order. No, no, they're unlikely to be members of that particular order, but it's just one of those things that you just got to... It just colours the whole thing, doesn't it? The fact that the chair is that sort of member and that type of thing. I just think it colours the whole thing. Not for me, it doesn't. Well, that's fine, Paul, but, you know, you and I will agree, agree to disagree. We shall. Mm. I don't think that I really want to start any new topics here because we're kind of, oh, it's an hour and a quarter and we'll save them up, I think. It's Australia while, Day. Well, while we're still friends. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we'll survive. Dear listener, uh, thanks to the patrons. I'll read out your names next week. Dear patrons, or dear non-patrons, if you're listening to this podcast, you're either a patron or you're somebody who has listened to 25 episodes or less, uh, or you're a very infrequent listener. You just pop in occasionally and check what we're doing, then you pop out. So um, if you've been listening 20, 25 episodes, uh, we'd like you to become a patron, help cover some expenses. That would be good. And you can go on the website and see that. There's a... 
SpeakPipe voicemail message link. You can leave us a voicemail message saying how good we are or how bad we are. As we Landon has done in the past. Landon has done how in the past. How argumentative we are. That's right. Uh, it's a Facebook page. Make sure you follow us there. If you're interested in a forum and you think that's a good idea, let us know. If you think it's a bad idea, let us know. If you'd like an opportunity to talk to other IFVG listeners in a sort of uh, a voice chat room type situation let us know if you're not interested we won't do it that's okay um any other public service announcements um head on over to the noose temple of satan and follow that lots of things happening there and i think that's all we'll finish off talk to you next week thanks very much tuning in bye now peace good night all mainstream republicans have capitulated to trump and trumpism to a degree that I wouldn't have thought possible. And the ideological capture of the media and our other institutions by wokeness has been just as amazing. One has to reference the behavior of cults to begin to understand what's going on here. And it's worth asking yourself, are you in a cult? Are you actually thinking clearly about anything? Are you getting good information about anything? May I ask this about myself, too? It has become genuinely hard to find a path through information space that leads to anything like daylight now. Do you think there was a massive voter fraud in the 2020 election and Trump actually won? And Republican election officials and secretaries of state and judges are all in on the plot? Well, if you do, you're in a cult. Do you think that racism and sexism and other forms of bigotry are our main problems in society now? and that they explain all current inequality? Do you think that great companies and medical schools and the entertainment industry and other desirable places to learn and work are currently in the business of excluding qualified people of color and women out of a preference for white men? Is that really what you think? Well, then you're in a cult. Do you think the COVID pandemic is basically a hoax? and that the lockdowns were imposed to destroy the economy and defeat Trump? Do you think we're being told to wear masks just to get us to comply with arbitrary limits on our freedom? Well, then you're in a cult. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said and when you're talking to your friends say hey I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to and maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out the other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't 
listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners. And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.